the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. So do we have a gun problem or do we have a mental health problem in America? Pro-gun controllers uh, have uh, the answer. Uh, They think it's very obvious, and they're going to do everything in their power to never let option B, mental health, ever, ever, uh, Trump blaming the inanimate object. How 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 is this even reasonable? I mean, we have had guns in America for a very, very long time. We haven't had this problem. We're having this problem because something else is wrong. How do you make it out the gun? Well, it's easy. You you avoid the facts. You over-sensationalize some made-up facts of your own. And finally, and this is the most important of them all, you make sure everybody stays high as a kite on emotion. Because when you're afraid, when you're emotional, you don't think. You do these three things, and sky's the limit. You can change anything. You might even be able to convince the former chief justice to call for a repeal of the Second Amendment. Let's look at the facts here. Over the last quarter of a century, the U.S. gun homicide rate has fallen by over half. During that same period, the gun violence victimization rate has fallen by 70%. So wait a minute. Why is it all of a sudden we feel like like we have to control guns that the pro gun, the 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 pro gun control lobby has made it look like like gun violence rather than receding by 50 and 70 percent is actually a growing problem. How is that happening? Especially when every statistic out there will show you the exact opposite. Well, it's actually pretty easy. If it bleeds, it leads. Violence, no matter how random or rare it may be, always gets more attention than peace. A mass shooting will get 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for over a month in coverage. But random, random acts of violence, well, they inspire marches, walkouts. Even, even legislature, if, uh, if, if need be, they'll, they'll just take it to the legislature and, and we'll have... Legislative policies. The world will change. But a quarter century of falling crime rates doesn't do anything. I think everybody can agree that there is a problem right now. We've already established that it is not gun because because the facts don't fit that. It's not guns. So what is the issue here? The answer is mental health and the government's inability to address it. I beg your pardon just for a second while I unload a few more facts. Keep in mind, none of the numbers that I'm about to drop came from any partisan source. They didn't come from some conservative think tank. And all of this came from the United States Secret Service. The Secret Service just released a report showing that 64% of all mass shooters showed symptoms of mental illness. 
a quarter of them had been hospitalized or were on psychiatric medication before the attacks. 75% of these killers sent communications or engaged in suspicious conduct that should have alerted law enforcement. So what we have here is clinically deeply troubled people who in many cases had been in mental facilities but were still able somehow or another to purchase guns and they were even giving away their intentions beforehand with communications and suspicious activity. Now, the, the facts clearly show that gun violence is going down by 50 and 70 percent. But at the same time, mental health is spiraling out of control and our government clearly can't figure out how to handle it. So people have taken the easy way out. You blame the guns, the tool of the clinically insane. All the while, sweeping the real problem under the rug. And that, that is our fault. It's Friday, March 30th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Let me bring you some good news today. We have opioid addiction problems in this country unlike anything we've ever faced. We have kids killing kids. We have hatred. We have anger. Deep anger and hatred. And we're all saying, how do we fix any of this? I want to tell you today, it's not going to be fixed through tougher drug laws or even a wall, a weapons ban, armed teachers, or hate laws. It's not. We have to recognize and reconcile with the truth, and we have avoided the truth. Today is a really important day. Today is Good Friday. Today is, is Passover. And both of those are connected. And the message in both of those is, is, is there's always a chance to start over. <clears throat> Whether you believe that Jesus was just a historic guy, a good guy, or you just believe that Jesus is God. It doesn't matter. His, his message is the same no matter what you believe. And that is, there is a way to start over. There is a way to fix your life no matter where you are. We've, we've grown into these people who we're so we're so self-absorbed and so arrogant and i i want you to know i'm i'm saying this about me more than the country we have we have all fallen short and some of us more than others but we're all short and and what we do every day is we go out and we measure the distance as if we're in some jesus long jump competition where we think we're going to win. 
We're not in a long jump. Why are we measuring how far you jumped and how far I jumped and how far the other person jumped? And yet, at the same time, when you look at it as if we are all acting like this is a long jump competition, it begins to make sense because the only time that you really measure somebody's distance is when you're going for the gold. And perhaps that's the problem. We're all going for gold. Our life isn't a competition. It's not how far or how short we are at the finish line. Because we can never come close to the record holder. Never. But we put on our team jerseys, be it right, left, rich, poor, educated, self-made, Christian, atheist, American, foreign, all of these team jerseys. And we march into the bogus stadium of our life, waving our colors and cheering those that stand with us and jeering those who are our enemies. And we miss the point. We miss what the Egyptians missed. We're all the same. There is no such thing as a slave and a free man. I have human rights. You cannot enslave me. And even if you do enslave me, you'll never enslave my mind, my soul, who I truly am. We miss what the Egyptians missed. The angel of death is going to pass over all of our doors. At some point, it's coming into all of our houses. It's how you it's how you live your life and how you go out. It was a stormy Friday afternoon 2000 years ago. When death came in Jerusalem for this man, he wasn't beating his chest or jeering others. He was a hard-working carpenter who got it. It was the quiet man who promised peace. And he promised peace to the thief hanging next to him, who just at the end of his life said, I get it and I want to start all over again. It's that man that changed the world. Be him God or human. He is the one who changed the world. And he changed it by showing us we can change ourselves. But so many of us Christians, we're not changing ourselves. We're worried about changing others. We're worried about measuring our distance. It's bogus. He changed it by showing that the weakness and doubt we sometimes feel is okay. He changed the world by teaching us that the way to overcome the hatred of others isn't by hating them back. It's not through battle. It's not through argument. It's not eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But it's through gentle forgiveness, even if they hate you. It's 
by little by little by little self-sacrifice. I don't recognize my country anymore. I don't recognize what it means to be a Christian anymore. I don't know what it means to be a conservative anymore. I don't know what it means. I know what it means to be human, but I'm afraid the rest of humanity is forgetting. When I was growing up on Easter, girls would put on pretty white dresses and boys would put on Sunday suits. You would wear your Easter best. In many houses, we hunted for candy and eggs and families attended church and we'd come home to eat dinners of honey baked ham and deviled eggs. Those were our traditions. Our traditions have taken over and I fear left us empty because it wasn't about the dresses, the suits, the deviled eggs, or the Easter bunny. It was about a, a guy who used that day to show us how to redeem ourselves and how to start all over. And it all began with forgiveness. doesn't have to be something big in fact it's probably better if it's something small we don't have to out jump each other we don't we don't have to win the gold medal and we should not be chasing after the gold the person or the group that you're forgiving doesn't necessarily even know or need to know that you're forgiving them or how they wronged you it doesn't matter Forgiving somebody is so hard to do. It takes a long time and lots of prayer. We don't do it very often anymore. We're conditioned to be angry and to be defensive and to run with our own tribe and to damn the other tribe, to signal our virtue instead of actually just quietly living it. So this weekend, between the bunnies and the candy in the morning and the ham in the afternoon, can we take a moment and examine the hatred and the anger and the fear we all feel? I mean, we say all the time, I can't forgive them. I can't let this go. I can't, I, this, no, they have to answer for this. May I just quote one thing and let it really just bounce around in your soul this weekend. Quote, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If he could say that, is our strife and our anger and our reasons for hating the other side for hating those in the other, is it really greater than that? Is our cross heavier than his? Is our pain 
worse than his. He came to save us. He came to show us that there is peace, that there is love. And we nailed him to a cross. Really? Our problems are bigger than that. Our reason for holding on is bigger than that. How arrogant. Humility. Meekness. Grace. Forgiveness. Find it in your heart and begin to make it a practice. Forgive your brothers and your sisters. Forgive those who are not going to be at your Easter table because you just can't do it or they just can't do it. Forgive those who have attacked on social media, who have offended your sense of self, who may have lied to you, have defaulted on debts, have cheated you. Forgive them. Because none of us are perfect. None of us ever will be. And boy, if there's one thing we need more than ever, it is forgiveness. Happy Easter and Shabbat Shalom. Have you ever taken your car in for an oil change? The mechanic finds something wrong and then you're like, what? Wait, hold it. Just as I was in for an oil change. That's happened to all of us. Or when you're driving down the highway and the check engine light goes on and you ha- you just break out in a sweat. I don't No, 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 no. I, I can't afford this. That sweat stays inside of your body. <laughs> you don't have to sweat it anymore if you have car shield. Don't worry about the unexpected surprises. If your car breaks down after the manufacturer warranty expires, you could be out of pocket for thousands of dollars. An, a simple repair of a sensor can cost over a thousand bucks. There's nothing really simple about today's cars. Car shield will make that process of fixing your car for a covered repair really easy. You can have your favorite mechanic or, I mean, they're paying for it, so take it to the dealership. It's your choice. They also provide you 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed for free. If your car has 5,000 or 150,000 miles on it, it doesn't mean you have to start paying, you know, high repair bills. Car Shield administrators have already paid out close to $2 billion in claims and they're ready to pay yours. Save yourself from the high repair bills. Get covered with the ultimate in extended vehicle protection like I did before something goes wrong. Call 800-CAR-6100. 800-CAR-6100. Save 10% by using the promo code BECK at carshield.com. That's carshield.com. Deductible may apply. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Well, we have a lot to go over today. We're so glad that you're here. We want to put first things first and talk to you about, you know, the things that matter most. Uh, We have Bill O'Reilly coming up. He'll uh, kind of recap the week and the things that uh, uh, I'd like. I want to get his take on a on a few things.
this week. Uh, one of them is um, the George Washington students that are uh, want to take George Washington uh, out of the name of George Washington University. And they want to do it because, I mean, sure, he was probably a great man in his time, but he was also a slave owner. Bill O'Reilly coming up in about a half an hour. Glenn Beck, Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Today, we're going on a journey. They say that time itself does not exist as we know it, as we understand it. It only really exists as something called space-time. It's really only a point on a giant map. Something that we can use to find out where we are, where we've been, or where we're going. So let's unfold space-time and trace our way back. First, maybe just a couple of years. Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the, the world. The United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, leader of Al-Qaeda. On my orders, the United States military has begun strikes against Al-Qaeda terrorist training camps. The people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Now back even further. Princess Diana died. I did not have this vast right-wing conspiracy. Now he is O.J. Simpson. He is armed with a gun. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down Elvis Presley died today. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. Because of what has happened in Munich during the past 48 hours, eight or nine terrified living human beings are being held prisoner. A second shot, the third total shot, hit the president's head. Dr. Martin Luther King has been shot to death in Memphis. A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Allied naval forces, supported by strong air forces, began landing Allied armies this morning on the northern coast of France. December 7th, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. Back farther still, even before Marconi, when the air was silent. Back past the signing of the Declaration of Independence, past the Age of Enlightenment, before Martin Luther hung his protest on the church doors, before Columbus rediscovered the fact that the world was round. We go past Newton, Galileo, the Dark Ages, the Crusades, back to a time before books, when most of the world couldn't read nor write, and history was oral. We leave this world now, where we can hear and see a lone protester standing in front of a tank in a country on the other side of the planet, and we can see it live. To a world seemingly simple, yet brutal beyond our understanding, where news was spread from mouth to mouth. We stop here, at approximately 29 of the Common Era. We stop at a small walled city in the Middle East, it's around 10 o'clock at night, 
just a couple of days before Passover. The meals are being prepared, the night's meal had already been eaten, and most in the city are asleep. One man, however, is not. It's strange. He's younger than I am. He's about 30. He's awake and alone in a garden. His friends who have been with him for several years are just a few yards away. They slumber underneath the star-filled sky. They still don't know that even though they sleep, the world is about to wake. Eleven of twelve men sleep beside a hill. One man awake. He couldn't sleep, for he knew. He was in a garden in prayer, praying so hard about what he knew was about to come, praying so hard that blood actually dripped from his pores in a place of sweat. Back at the hill, when he returned, he begged his friends to wake and pray with him. They didn't know how serious his request really was. They had no idea what was just to come. He pleaded with his friends, Why will you not rise and pray with me? He asked this again before returning to the garden alone. He knelt there on rocky soil, his hands clasped, his head bowed. Twilight dew draped his neck, the horizon still in black. He prayed. He prayed even harder, for the sky would eventually turn purple, then light blue. And he knew what awaited him. Back to the hill once more, his friends asleep. He begged his friends, rise, rise and pray with me. I need you now more than ever. They said they would, but shortly after he left, they fell asleep again. The dawn was even closer, and he knew his time was running out. Now over the hill, they marched like flowing lava burning in the night's solace. The eleven are surely awake now. They have sworn their faith to him, but he knows, he knew this wasn't true. They'll weaken and he'll be forsaken, forsaken by the same men who just swore their undying devotion. The torchlights grow brighter, the hourglass running low. The clanging of the metal swords and spears, the sound and the vibration of the march deep down from their feet to their spine, creating a shallow vibration, leaving them quivering. The soldiers approach. The one is grabbed and kissed. Betrayed with a kiss. A kiss wearing the mask of loyalty. One of the men leap forward, draws his sword, cutting the ear off one of the soldiers. He raises his hand. No. Peace. Take me now in peace. For this is my purpose. This is my being. This is the reason I came. Now one of them, Peter, strays. While his friend is being persecuted for crimes he didn't commit, he stands by a fire, denying any relationship he has as he tries to blend in with the common people. A woman approaches. Didn't I see you with him? 
Peter says, Surely I don't know him, but you're from Galilee. For the third time, Peter says, I do not know this man. Now Jesus is pulled back and forth between the two who will determine his fate. They can't see any crime, but they still question, scourge, and mock him. Aren't you the king? Silence. Then here is your crown, says one as they give him a crown of thorns and press it into his head. He stands before the judge, who could condemn him for no crime, but it is Passover. He says to the crowd, You, you can choose. One I will release. Him as the king of the Jews, or... Jesus, standing silent, his eyes to the ground, is condemned to death. Jesus now carries his cross through the stone-clad streets to the place known as the Skull, the place where he will soon die. His back torn, his head bleeding beneath his thorny crown. The women cry out loud as he passes. He pauses for a moment and comforts them. Do not weep for me. Rather, weep for yourselves. His mother looks on as huge nails are driven through his hands and his feet. They raise the cross and slam it into the ground. It is at this point that all four writers of the gospel struggled with a description of the crucifixion, as I have. They described with the only words that I could use. And they crucified him. He now hung on the cross as the soldiers bid lots on his clothing below. Next to him, two criminals hang, but they are simply tied to the cross. One of them says, You're the Son of God. Save us now. Save all of us. The man in the middle does nothing, for he had a purpose. The afternoon passes. His skin stretched. He wept. He begged for water, and they gave him a sponge on a reed filled with vinegar. In a moment where he showed us that he was truly human, he cried out and said, My father, my father, why have you forsaken me? The sky began to grow dark. It was approaching three o'clock on a Friday afternoon when Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth, spoke once more and only once. His last words, it is finished. So today, people all over the world do as I do now. I thank that lone carpenter for dying, dying on that Friday afternoon, so I may live. What matters most? Happy Easter. 
and good Passover. We want to thank ZipRecruiter for sponsoring this program today. ZipRecruiter, they are really great people, and they will help you find great people uh, if you are looking to hire. Instead of just posting your job online and praying that the right person is going to see it, ZipRecruiter knew that there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies the people out there that have the right experience, and then it it contacts them and invites them to apply for your job. The invitations now have revolutionized the way you're going to find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in the first day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications that you receive, so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are there, and ZipRecruiter is going to be the way you find them. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck and try it for free. Find the right person for the job. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Glenn Beck Mercury. When a Wall Street billionaire, Stephen Schwartzman, announced that he was donating $25 million to the Abington Senior High School, he said in a release that investing in public education yields one of the best returns imaginable. A new generation of creative, capable, and uh, collaborate future leaders. He's the CEO of Blackstone. I disagree with his analysis there, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm just side uh, side point. Yes. Um, this was his alma mater. This was the high school that he, that he went to and he wanted to give back to the community and he's already given back to the community. I think there's a stadium named after him. There's a hospital named after him. I mean, he's given a lot to this community. The, um, the school board voted unanimously Tuesday night to accept his money and to rename the high school Abington Schwartzman High School. Well, this has set people up all up in arms. How dare this egomaniac? His name's already on the hospital. His name's already on the his name's already on the 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 stadium and now it's on the high school over the front door as well. What an egomaniac. He's an egomaniac? He is. He is. The guy who's given you a stadium giving you a hospital, giving giving you a school, he's an egomaniac. You won't accept it. You don't want it. For, for what reason? He's giving you a gift. And all he's asking for is, hey, can I have my name on it just so people remember? I, I don't know about you, but the New York Public Library wasn't always public. It was personal. It was private. It was two great men that brought their libraries together and gave it to the city. One of them was Astor. I can't remember the name of the other one. I don't think it was Rockefeller. I don't remember who it was. Why? Because we call it the New York Public Library. And all good things come from the government. No, no. 
That library came from two very wealthy men who we now say were robber barons. Yeah, they were so evil and so bad. They were robbing everybody blind to what? Give everybody one of the greatest libraries the country has ever known? Who's the one with the ego problem? I mean, you can give in secret. Is it better to give in secret? Probably. We should. We're not looking for accolades or anything else. But I'm going to judge a guy who's given $25 million so the town can have, instead of a rundown high school, a, a, a nicer high school and, and really pour money into education. I'm going to have a problem with him putting his name on it. I mean, he didn't even get it first. It's, it's Abington Schwartzman High School. It's it really, should be Schwartzman Abington. It's really crazy. It's really crazy. What is wrong with us? What is wrong with us? You should be excited about that. Who cares if he wants to put his name on there? Who cares? How about this one? Thank you. Yeah, you should be you should be telling him we demand to put your name on there. Yes. That's what it should be. But you know what this is? This is class hatred. Yeah. Because it's I mean, class hatred. You bring up the uh, the public library. It was Astor and Lennox, by the way, uh the two and and Tilden. Um but again, like people believe that that's just a government thing because yes. it's called the New York Public Library. And it's like, no, these are great men who donated all of this to the city, and now no one remembers it. Thank you, Mr. Schwartzman. My kids will never use your stadium or your high school, but thank you. Glenn Beck, Mercury. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. It's a snowy Sunday afternoon in the bustling cobblestone city square of an English cathedral town. People are huddled together as they shuffle from one shop to the next. A man and his daughter stroll into a pub and then walk into a nearby restaurant for a meal. For this moment, this last moment, life continues as usual. For this moment, this quiet town is quaint. After their meal, the man and his daughter go out and watch the snow fall as they sit on a bench. And suddenly, they're both slumped over. On closer look, the woman is now foaming at the mouth. Her eyes are wide and pale. She's lost control of her bodily functions. A doctor who had been shopping nearby with her husband takes a look now at these two zombie-like people. Patient zero? A new infection? We've seen it in zombie films. The infection metastasizes rapidly, eventually disrupting life on a global level as all of us are turned into zombies. But in this case, the infection doesn't spread like that. It's not a disease. This is diplomatic chaos that grows more virulent with each reaction. Within an hour, the man, a former Russian spy, and his daughter have become catalyst to the reignition of the Cold War. It seems really clear that the Russians had been brazen. The man they had poisoned, a former double agent who had retired in England after being convicted of high treason by Russian courts, he was a British citizen. He had died on British soil in a cozy English town. 
British Prime Minister Theresa May was outraged. She unequivocally castigated the Russian government, who continues to deny their involvement. She expelled 23 Russian diplomats from the country. The U.S. followed suit, closing the Russian consulate general in Seattle, too close to a sub-base. Then dispelled 60 dis- diplomats. More than 20 countries dispelled Russian diplomats in an act of diplomatic unity with Britain in what is the largest expulsion of Russian intelligence officers in history. Yesterday, the Russians followed through on their threats and ousted 60 American diplomats. As we now gaze wide-eyed. What does this mean? Said yesterday. Quote, Russia's response was not unanticipated, and the United States will deal with it. This is just another piece of fickle upheaval on the global scale. Played out sometimes like a game of checkers. What's interesting to me is we are more interested in Stormy Daniels than we are about what's taking place all around us like murder in broad daylight it's friday march 30th this is the glenn beck program happy easter and welcome to bill o'reilly how are you bill I'm okay, Beck. Thanks for asking. Sure. Let me just uh, get any, do you have any additional or new thoughts on Russia and the expelling of the 60 diplomats? I mean, it's expected. Uh, Any thoughts on what it means or where we go from here? Well, you know, you'll know that I was, uh, I love to brag on your show, Beck. I know. It is is unseemly on uh, Good Friday and the beginning of Passover. It's pretty much unseemly in, well, every week, but it's been You'll you'll know that I uh, kicked off the Trump administration by interviewing a president. I know, you tell um, me every week. And my my marquee was asking him, Mm -hmm. why are you, why are you friendly with a killer? Mm-hmm. Putin. Mm-hmm. Why? All of us who follow international news know that Putin has an arm of assassins, and and they go all over the world and they kill people. Mm-hmm. All right, and and CIA knows it, MI6 knows it, in Britain, everybody knows it. All right, and that's what happened to these people in in Great Britain. So, what do you do? I mean, Putin runs the show in Russia. He's not going anywhere. You're not going to change him. Um, if he weren't the president, he'd probably be one of the assassins. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you have a look at the guy's eyes? Mm-hmm. Okay. So then you have to basically take it case by case. And I think that the uh, expulsion of the Russian diplomats was something that the countries could do uh, to send a message to Putin. Does Putin care? He cares a bit. He doesn't want to be an international pariah, and I think that's how you go with him. You, you try to isolate and marginalize him personally, and maybe he'll stop a little bit. Does this really matter to anybody in their real life? No, because it's so distant. You know, it's so far away. They don't know where Crimea is, and I'm not being supercilious, word of the day, supercilious, but most people don't know where it is. They don't care about Ukraine. They don't care about how Russia operates. It doesn't touch upon their lives. So, yeah, I mean, they know Putin's a bad guy. 
who runs around topless in the Arctic. Um, right. But that's about all they know about. Uh, is, is, is this something they should care about? And if so, why? Well, yeah, it depends on what kind of a citizen you are. I mean, if you're at a really hyper-aware citizen that is interested in the world, of course, you have to care and pay attention. But most people are just trying to make a living and getting through yeah. the day or the week. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I'm not. I don't come down on people who are apathetic about what Putin does or or supercilious. That's me. Uh, supercilious is arrogant. Means and I'm talking down to people. Our government is charged with keeping an eye on Putin, and and so we have to have enough confidence that that our government will do that. Um, and at this point, I do. I, I think that we, we're keeping a close eye on this guy. All right, let me uh, change uh, directions. On the Daily Wire, um, Ben Shapiro's people went out and they, they talked to Georgetown University uh, students, and they yes. asked them about George Washington. I'm sorry, not Georgetown, but George Washington University, and asked them about George Washington. I want you to listen to this audio, Bill. I'm Ami Horowitz, and I'm here on the campus of George Washington University, named after our first president and also a slave owner. I wonder if students here think we should keep the name or change it. Personally, I would change the name. I think that it should be changed. Um, I think that recognition is super important, and I think that... Recognition of? Recognition for who he was as a person. I don't agree with slave, slave trade, so, um, so yeah. Would you change the name? you could do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. That was 1776, it's 2018, um, and I think it's important that we re realize and reupholster the systems that built us. Sure, I think we should change the name. It's not to say that he wasn't an important man back then, it's just saying that in this day and age it's not as important, I don't think. What's the first thing that comes to mind when I say George Washington? Oh, I think about him only slaves, yeah. Hmm. So college kids are morons. Is, is that the headline here? <laughs> I will right, tell you, yeah, I, I, about, I about burst a blood vessel when... Here's when, the bigger story. Yeah. Here's the bigger story, because I know you always hunger for the big story. This kind of infantile analysis is taking hold on colleges all across the United States, all right? Because of the cowardly administrators who are put in there, who kiss the butts of the far left and any radical uh, people on campus, and they don't want any microaggressions or macroaggressions. Look, these idiots uh, at George Washington University um, are ignorant. Are They want to re-upholster. I love that. <laughs> nice that I want to re You know what? I want to reupholster your head and just put upholstery all over it so you can't speak. I'm a fascist. Okay. I don't have any statues, so you can't take them down. Um, George Washington, if you read Killing England, and I know you both have, all right, is a tremendous hero and almost solely responsible for the freedoms we have in America today. All the freedoms. Okay? That's the truth. Yes, he held slaves. He was a product of the aristocracy of the 18th century. All right? Yes, he did. That was wrong. John Quincy Adams and his father John Adams knew it was wrong. Washington looked the other way. He no, did he not didn't. negate his whole life because he was an aristocrat in the 18th century, and that's what Southern aristocrats did. They held slaves. So 
it, it just gets me crazy. I don't know whether you, you know what's going on in Holy Cross, College of Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts. No. They have this guy uh, teaching who says that, that uh, Jesus was a drag king. Oh, quote, yeah, I saw that. A drag king. Yeah. Okay? The College of the Holy Cross at Jesuit University. Oh, well, he has academic freedom. He, you know, oh, we this don't really crazy. agree with him. This is the president of the university. Well, I sent oh, my, I don't really agree with his academic freedom. I, 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 right. sent my, I sent my daughter to Fordham University where they promptly taught her, the priests, the Jesuits, promptly taught her that the Bible was a collection of stories and none of it's true. Yeah, my daughter goes to Fordham, too. Yeah. All right. But Fordham is a little bit better. They didn't a little give bit. In, they didn't give in to these to this uh, radical group that was telling Republican students in the Republican club, you can't go into the campus coffee shop. The the administration of Fordham stood up to that. OK, but you have an unbelievable wave of cowardice um, on these college campuses now. And the radical idiots know it and they use the students. Mm-hmm. Just like they're using this uh, David Hogg kid in Florida, and I hope we get into that in the we, next segment. We are. We okay. are. Okay. They're using these kids because they know the kids are stupid, and they know the kids are motivated by peer pressure. And I'll tell you one more thing before you take a break, because I understand your break cycle, Beck. The, I study <laughs> your operation. Okay. I was thinking about sending my daughter to George Washington University, so I went down. And I checked out the dorms, and and they're located in the city of Washington. Mm -hmm. And I walked in, and I could not breathe in the dorms at George Washington U. Do you know why? Pot. Yes. Overwhelming. You couldn't breathe in the dormitories there. So that tells you all you need to know about George Washington. I I will tell you this, Bill, that I don't think these kids are stupid. I think these kids are being misled. I think there is... Oh, back. Uh, there is, there no, is. No, no. If you don't seek the truth, if you don't learn history, you're stupid. I will tell you that if you were growing up in today's society where almost every teacher is teaching you falsehoods and and the media is showing you falsehoods uh, and and all of popular culture is throw is showing you falsehoods. Uh, and rewarding those who fall in line with the falsehoods, I'm not sure that the average person is that intellectually curious. I I, I do blame, you know, probably 10% to 18% of the population is strong enough to say, wait a minute, stop it. Uh, no, but not everybody is cut for that kind of, uh, of travel. I will tell you, Bill, that I was ignorant most of my life because it's easy to be ignorant. It's hard to say, wait a minute, wait a minute and go completely against the grain. I think I, these... I have 18 lines for that, but I'm not going to do it because it's good Friday. <laughs> I'm telling you Beck, I'm not cutting these college students, college students, not high school kids. I, I understand. There's enough stuff out there. If you want to find out about George Washington, read Killing England. And I, Number I, one I, book for 12 weeks. Got it? I got it. All right. I got it. Thank I just you. don't know that if calling them stupid is the way to get them to uh, be more intellectually curious. Well, look, you know me. No spin. They're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. (sighs) 
Let's talk about the volatility in the stock market. Wild swings in Bitcoin. Uh, the constant turmoil in Washington. Gold has just come off its, uh, its best year since, I think, 2010. So why is that happening? Because gold is the, gold is the thing that uh, is, when, every, when everything else becomes unstable, the world rushes to gold. So when there is uh, high inflation, the hedge against inflation is gold. Uh, when there is uh, currency or economic insecurity, and volatility, the world rushes to gold. This is the way it has always been. Now, the world has been rushing to Bitcoin, and then the world rushed away from Bitcoin, and look what went up. Gold. Gold line. I want you to call them now and, and get to, They've got a couple of pamphlets out. One of them is uh, from the Royal Canadian Mint, and it will tell you all about all of the different things on why you should consider uh, buying gold or silver and and supplementing your IRA, now is a good time to do that. In fact, Goldline is offering $750 in free coins when you purchase 25000 or more using their Express IRA program. So balance yourself out so you can weather any storm. Call now, 866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE, goldline.com. If you, if you call them now, they'll also send you for free um, this copper coin. It's a uh, copper coin. It is um, uh, a Godin's uh, medal, uh, the the Liberty Medal. That is, it's just, it's absolutely beautiful, and you get it for free. You, all you have to do is just call now. Goldline one eight six six Goldline one eight six six Goldline or Goldline dot com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Speaking of Bill O'Reilly, Good Friday. He's trying to be good, but it is Friday. Um, we were just talking about uh, George Washington University and the students that are uh, that are in college, and and Bill was talking about how they were stupid, and I I believe they are unchallenged, and I I think you know the the, the tenure was meant so you could say crazy radical things. Um, and now those radical things have have changed over the years, um, but you can't say radical things now. You can only say you can only say Jesus was a drag king, and get away with it. You cannot say that is postmodernist bullcrap. And here's why: you can't have the other side. You can only challenge one direction. And so, if you are unchallenged, how do you get out of that, Bill? Well, the goal of education is to seek knowledge, and in order to seek knowledge, you have to seek the truth, particularly in the liberal arts. I mean, you can't go around saying that Adolf Hitler was a good guy and misunderstood. I mean, you can't be doing these kinds of things and still be operating at a level where you're a teacher or a student on a college campus. All right. So if the goal is that your opinion overrides facts, yes, then you don't have a university anymore. You don't have a college but anymore. Nobody because of postmodernism, facts don't exist. 
Well, then you don't have a college campus. Yes. Then you yes. don't have one. Yes. Okay, so why don't, why don't we just say, do away with your grades, do away with your degree, and you can just have a, you know, a social time for four years. Well, haven't we already said that really? <laughs> Did you ever hear the academic discipline? Academic discipline means that you deal with reality. Now, there are subjects that are subjective, okay? We know that. But history is not one of them. Correct. And, and so you have a situation now where you're absolutely right that this is tolerated on college campuses. No, no, no. The, no, no, no. This is not tolerated. This is not tolerated. This is encouraged. This is postmodernism. There is no objective reality. There is no objective truth. That's the deal. That, the, right. the, that, well, then that should be in the brochure of the college, that we do not believe in objective reality. So send right. your student here. <laughs> yes, yes, I would agree with you. That should be in the brochure. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we know that. All right, Bill, I'm going to get to I'm going to get to the Laura Ingram uh, hog thing here in just a yeah. second. But I want to get your on this particular topic. I want to get your thoughts on on uh on david hogg without going into the laurie ingram thing because we're going to get we'll get to that after the break i've got about 90 seconds tell me your thought on these students and what the problem is well i think the students as i've said are uh doing a good thing by raising awareness of the debate in america over gun violence i think that's a good thing but it is clear to anyone who is covering the story that now the students, many of them anyway, are taking their cues, their information, their analysis and opinions from far-left people. Mm-hmm. All right, they're, they're, it's the same theme. They're not seeking the truth anymore. Or they're not seeking information anymore. They're saying, send me something in the morning that I can tell CNN, that I can say on CNN. And so now I want to go to the, the fascistic side of this argument. And if you disagree, you say anything about this side and they'll shut you down. Next. Glenn Beck, Mercury. program with bill o'reilly want to get into the the boycott now that is being conducted strangely all by his little lonesome this high school student is now conducting a boycott against loyal laura ingram because she had the audacity to say after he started complaining that he wasn't getting into the schools that he wanted with a 4.1 um, she said, stop whining about it. This is not unusual uh, at the schools that you were in, uh, uh, applying to. Well, he took great offense to that. And he's demanded an apology and a boycott. And Laura immediately said, I, I wasn't. You were whining. I, I'm not calling you names. I'm saying, knock it off, man. And she apologized for it. But that's not good enough. So now there is a boycott, and boy, Bill, have we not seen this movie before. And you're going to see it a thousand times again, because there's no impediment to it. You know, there's no resistance to it. I see the story a little bit differently than you do. 
I don't think Laura Ingram should have tweeted about uh, the kids' academic situation. Um, I don't think any commentator or, or adult should comment at all about any minor's situation in a personal realm. I, I just don't think that, you know, because the, the adult has the, the power and the, the perspective that the, the kid doesn't have. Even if the kid was whining, so what? The kid. So number wait, one, wait, 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 everyone's stupid and there's no spin. What happened to that thing? Yeah. No, no, no. And hang on, but wait a minute. Thing. But it's wait an a minute. Interpretive thing. It is. Right? It is. So look, Bill. Wait. 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 What? You and I both agree. When people were saying horrible things about Chelsea Clinton, you know, calling her the cowardly lion and everything else back in the '90s, we all thought that was wrong. We 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 said kids are off limits. Don't do it. However. When they inject themselves in and they are being held up by the media as these gods and they have every fact wrong, every fact that I have heard come out of his mouth. Now, there's a different issue. Right. You're talking about the issue the kid's presenting and I'm talking about his personal profile. So I don't have any any problem with uh, anybody saying, well, we believe David Hogg is misguided because X, Y and Z. But on his personal portfolio. I don't think that adult should be even if he's even if he's bringing it up in the public. Even if he's bringing it up in the public, kid. All right. Mm, Okay. Okay. So, so I wouldn't have done it. And and but Laura said that she was sorry. She didn't mean to demean the kid. All right. But the big story here is within hours of Laura Ingram tweeting this about uh, the kids' college um, rejections within hours. That kid and his friends had every sponsor on Laura Ingram's program listed. Mm-hmm. They didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can bet you a million dollars Media Matters right there. Because, the, as we just said, the far-left agencies are working with David Hogg and mm-hmm. his friends. Mm-hmm. All right? So they called him up, or they, they texted him and said, Hey, here are the sponsors, Dave. Why don't you do this? And Dave said, that's a good idea. I'll call for a boycott. And that's what they did. And then all of a sudden, a sponsor said, yeah, we're not going to advertise anymore, because that's what these companies do. That's what they do. All right? So, so who, 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 is, who is the media and the left creating with David Hogg? What, what is the... No, 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 but that, that's not, David Hogg doesn't mean a thing. The big story is where freedom of speech is really in trouble. It's in trouble. The far left knows that at any time they can call for a sponsor boycott of anyone they despise. And some of these companies will fold. So you're going to see this over and over. And, and you've already seen it with me, with you, with Imus, with, with Limbaugh, with Hannity. Already seen it. Okay, and now it picks up more speed. And where are the companies defending their people? Where where's that? So this is the story. David Hogg is just being used. He's being used. He's now a semi celebrity. The far left has adopted him, feeding him things that he's putting out there. Everybody knows that. But the 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 corporations of America 
I, I, I mean, are you I have into to, freedom of speech doesn't exist anymore? I, Is that what you're into? I, I have to tell you, uh, Bill, I, I, I don't. Uh, I don't accept the idea that just because these are kids or they are uh, or they were in mourning that we have to walk tiptoe around them. I, I really don't accept you that. Don't they have are to on the issue. hang on just a second. You, you Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It, 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 they have engaged. David Hogg has called Dana Lash some of the worst names imaginable. She has said that uh, Marco Rubio is splattered in blood. That is, he's he's made all kinds of accusations and 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 name well, called. And I'm not going to name call back. I don't want to name call back. But if you know, it's 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 one thing to say. Uh, let me play Michael Rappaport here. There's one thing to say that uh, you you know how dare you say that about this kid? He's a kid. Leave him alone. Okay. But listen how the left is responding. Play Michael Rappaport. Laura Ingram, the Fox News reporter. You filthy pig. You dog-faced animal. Remember Laura Ingram just a year ago at the Republican National Convention throwing up the Nazi salute? Look at this. Check this out. Look, look, look at the Aryan pinup girl. This is the same Laura Ingram who just a few weeks ago said that LeBron James and Kevin Durant and these athletes should just shut up and dribble. And then I said infamously that you should shut up and uh, a dribble. Remember her? And now Laura Ingram, this savage, this dog, this mutt, and this has nothing to do with her looks. It has to do with her behavior. The things okay, that stop. she exudes. Bill. I I do not want to respond in kind. He's no, a stupid. He's a. Stu- where, where are the feminist organizations? Exactly right. Yeah, exactly where, where right. They? Where are they? Exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So we all know what's happening. What's happening is that the far left, with the media approval and with their encouragement and their enabling, have now said we can stop speech that we disagree with. We can stop it. We can kill it. And we can do it through boycotts. Look, this guy that you just played, nobody cares what he says. Mm-hmm. He's, a, you know, right. He's a dope. But the boycotts, the boycotts, that's ultra serious. I, I actually, I will tell you this. I don't think a lot of people even know who Michael Rappaport is, and I no, celebrate that. I, so, I, I was struggling to put his face in right, together. Okay, so, right. So, uh, you know, I, I get that. However, language and what we're saying on uh, Twitter and Facebook and in blogs, it does matter. When we're starting to call people vermin, that does matter. History shows us when you dehumanize people, it does matter. Well, I'm sure that the feminist organizations are going to be all over Mr. Rappaport. I'm, I'm sure that next Friday when we speak, we'll all oh, look at the feminist organizations rising up and telling him those comments are inappropriate. Yesterday, there was a there was a great uh, struggle on Twitter uh, demanding facts and sources. And so I had to uh, share with them NBC News. Um, and yet still people didn't believe that the Pulse nightclub shooting, the first uh, the first target was Disney. He was turned around by by police officers being there. They have him on tape scouting it and then coming back later with a gun, putting guns into the baby carriage and then seeing this enormous amount of people with guns 
and turning around, then just Googling that his target was not the gay club. That was his third choice. And he never Googled gay club. He just Googled nightclub in downtown Orlando. People don't believe that that was even uh, true. Half of the country, because no one reported on it. How do we how do we come together, Bill, if if half of the country is getting different news? No, we don't. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to happen. It maybe maybe some kind of leader will emerge. Maybe it's happened before in our history who can be so powerful in the White House that they can sweep aside the hatred that has taken hold. Possible. Probable? No. So you got two countries now. All right? And the two countries fight it out, and there are no rules. It's smear, 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 attack, 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 destroy, 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 and that's where we are. Can you leave me with something happy? Happy Beck. Um, not selling think, anything. Not selling anything. I think, well, that's hard for me uh, because <laughs> I'm happy in the area of commerce. I am, <laughs> but I will. All right. <laughs> Easter and Passover weekends are, are uh, different than all the other holidays because there really isn't commercialism involved in them. And there's not a lot of pressure of gifts and expectations. And so. I think everybody should really, you know, turn off the TV and, uh, you know, I want them to go to BillOReilly.com, of course. But other than that, um, just have a nice spring weekend. And I, my tip of the day yesterday on my Twitter at Bill O'Reilly was, if you know somebody who's alone, lives alone, invite them over for Easter dinner or Passover dinner. Even if they don't come, that's okay. But just invite them. And, and I think that, that if we all start thinking about that, people in our own neighborhoods, um, and, and you do that, how easy is that? You just do it. Even if you don't particularly like them that much. You know, so I want everybody to have a nice, relaxed weekend, including you, Beck. I want you to be relaxed, you know, get away from stew and that kind of pressure. Um, and just, you know, let and me, then stew you too. Get away from Beck. And let, me do, nice. let me do, we'll me, do. Let we'll me do we'll media do. matters work for them. Bill O'Reilly says, invite lonely people over for dinner. Bill O'Reilly, headline. Bill O'Reilly encourages cannibalism. <laughs> it's all written you for go. you. All yeah, written for I know, you. I know. Hey, have a so, great uh, Easter and good have Friday. Have a nice weekend and uh, appreciate, of course, being on every week. It's a lot of fun. You got it. We'll see you next week. Okay, guys. Bill O'Reilly appears every Friday on this program to recap the news and give us his non-spin All right, spring is here. Man, can you believe it's Easter already? Spring is here already. Um, now is the time that you, you sell your home. Now is the time where people are starting to sell their home. They're starting to come out from the snow. They're starting to think school is about to be over. We've got to make a move, whatever. If you need to sell your home, Go with realestateagentsitrust.com. Realestateagentsitrust.com. They're going to sell your home fast for the most amount of money. They're just like you. Their word is their bond. And they're fans of the show. They share your sensibilities. There's over over a thousand of them that have been fully vetted and handpicked for their knowledge, their skill, and their track record. 
Thousands of families have already put realestateagentsitrust.com to the test. The results are remarkable. People sell their house quickly. They sell it on time. They find a new house in an area they're not familiar with, maybe. Um, they have they have sold uh, family members' houses that maybe they were taking care of mom and dad, and mom and dad had to move in with them or unfortunately pass away, and they were living across the country. These are the people that really they they become friends real estate agents i trust.com they will help you through one of the most traumatic things you can do and that is move real estate agents i trust.com glenn beck mercury glenn beck so glad that you're here thank you so much what do you have planned for this weekend, Stu? Um, Heathen. Uh, this is this is the eating. weekend. This is the weekend, by the way, that my uh, my uh, second eldest daughter, Hannah, um, I think, became a, a vegetarian. Really? Honestly, she wanted to become a vegetarian. She's never been able to do it because she likes meat too much, but she hates the idea of it. Um, and it's because it's because on on uh, on Easter Sunday. Um, I was cooking and I was making leg of lamb. And, uh, mm-hmm. so I had her, I had her come in and, uh, she said, uh, what are you making dad? And I said, come on, help me make it. So we put it out and through seasoning and stuff. And I, she said, what is this? And I said, leg of lamb. And she stopped and she said, so wait, so Somewhere on a farm, there's a lamb with only three legs. And I said, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely, that's what happened. Absolutely. You don't need a lamb like this all at once. Don't, no. don't ask again. Don't, 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 don't follow don't up follow, on that one. No follow no. up. And she didn't, but I could see the wheels <laughs> turning. And then at dinner, she uh, or when I pulled it out and I started to slice it, she said, Dad, what's all that juice? And the red juice. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's blood. And that's when she, <laughs> that's when she was like, okay, I'm going to go cry now for a while. <laughs> <laughs> they, the, the lamb is one of those that crosses the line into toys too. Like, like the kids have a little, lots of stuffed animals. There's not a lot of cow stuffed animals, right? No. And you count sheep and sheep are cute and they're cuddly. Yeah, I guess. Although... Poor Peppa Pig is, I think, ruined, ruined probably bacon for a lot of kids. Probably. Because <laughs> that's a pro- very popular cartoon uh, for well, the young but, but when she, uh, the great thing is, kids, when Peppa Pig loses her popularity, we eat her. So she <laughs> serves us in two ways. It's not, entertainment, uh, education, and food. Probably not a winning argument <laughs> with a six-year-old. Well, but this is coming from the guy who said that's blood. Yeah, that's a terrible so, answer. I was going to well, criticize you. Well, what are you going to say? She was, she was like six. What you do there is you uh, lie. <laughs> <laughs> you lie. Yeah. No. no. Lots of cool. Wow. Thirsty. No. Lots of Kool-Aid. Yeah. Right before we took the I line. like to tell them the truth. Daddy only is drinking because you cry. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn Beck. Mercury. 
love, courage, truth. Glenn Beck. There is scientific truth. And then there is the truth that you want and the truth of who you are. But it is different than scientific truth. And we need to embrace that and know the difference between that and do it without any kind of hatred or or judgment toward one another. Stacy Ray was born a man. It's right there on the birth certificate. But Stacy Ray, alongside with Jane Doe, um, Ashley Brenda, Basil Argentino, insists that the birth certificate is wrong. And with the ACLU, they have sued the state of Ohio for refusing to change their birth certificate to reflect their updated gender. Now, Susan Becker, she's general counsel for the Ohio branch of the ACLU, rebuked the state's decision. She said a birth certificate purports to tell the world about who we are. Ohio's birth certificate policy, however, refuses to provide transgendered individuals and only transgendered individuals with a birth certificate that accurately conveys their gender identity. Now, there is an X and a Y chromosome, and those things never change. Your personal gender identity may change, but that does not change the sex or who you were when you were born. Aaron Bayer, who serves as the president of Citizens for Community Values, accused the ACLU of wasting taxpayer money. In a statement, he said, with this lawsuit, the ACLU is sacrificing medical accuracy for political ideology by attempting to force the state to falsely uh, to falsify official records. A birth certificate that does not accurately reflect the biological reality of an individual becomes a meaningless, if not harmful, document. Make no mistake, this lawsuit isn't about whether Ohioans can be supportive of people with gender dysphoria. It's about politics. And whether politics beats biology. Fix reason firmly in her seat and question with boldness. Even the very existence of God, for if there be a God, he must surely rather honest questioning over blindfolded fear. Alongside Kansas, Tennessee, and Ohio, they are among the few states that still prohibit identity changes on birth certificates. Earlier this month, a judge ruled that a similar policy in Idaho was unconstitutional, a violation of people's rights, specifically the God-given right to identify as a man or a woman, regardless of biology. It's Friday, March 30th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. I don't know why we can't have, you know, biological sex, scientific sex, male, female, gender identity. Why can't you just add that box? I mean, why do we have to? Why must we reject science to embrace gender identity? Why does it have to be either or? Science says one thing, gender identity, you can say another. Fine. We must not go into a place to where we're rejecting science. Um, all right. We have been talking about Russia. Russia yesterday um, expelled 60 diplomats because we expelled 60 diplomats. Uh, and Ian Bremmer is a political scientist. And, and he 
uh, wrote an article for Time magazine. Despite apparent bromance, Trump has been tough on Russia. And Ian is here to talk to us about uh, the what's currently going on with Russia and our stance and, and possibly what it might mean. Ian, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, hey Glenn. Good to be with you. Um, can you... First of all, I think this is an an interesting uh, uh, take from you because most that would write for Time Magazine, I would say, uh, say that Donald Trump has been soft on uh, on Russia, and I think he started out that way, but he has taken he's done some really hard things that I don't think anybody's done really since the Cold War. I mean, certainly there are people out there that still believe the United States should be much harder in its response, and that was true under Obama. And that's true under Trump. I mean, this is a country that we know was involved in undermining the legitimacy of our electoral process. And we also know that they've been engaging in major cyber attacks yes. against all sorts of critical infrastructure. Yes. But there's no question um, that uh, steps that have been taken by the Trump administration, which Trump has personally approved, uh, both in terms of individual sanctions, uh, in terms of supporting arming uh, Ukraine, uh, something Obama did not want to do. Right. Um, and also, most recently, the closing of the Seattle consulate and uh, the removal of these 60 Russian uh, diplomats slash spies uh, are, frankly, those are some of the toughest steps that have been taken by the U.S., certainly since the Cold War. And Trump did not need to take them. If he if he wanted to maintain a bromance uh, with Putin, he clearly could have said no. These are uh, sub- substantial. However, I, I mean, I'd, I'd hate to be the president of the United States today because I think Putin uh, is is a very good chess player and is somebody who says they're only going to go so far because nobody wants war with Russia. Uh, and I don't know what you should do. I mean, it is so clear that they are trying to dismantle us and the entire West from the inside. Uh, and they're playing, you know, not only um, uh, digital games, but they're playing mental games uh, with our with with the entire West. Uh, and and what do you do? How do you respond and not go to war? What is the rep- appropriate response? Well, uh, so I, a couple of points here. One is that if you really want to hit Putin, I mean, we can't delegitimize his elections because they're not democratic right he's going to win no matter what so it's not quid pro quo but we could easily go after uh the oligarchs the people that are close to putin that have gotten their billions from putin's largesse who have big real estate holdings and all sorts of cash at play in the united states if we wanted to squeeze them they'd be very upset at the kremlin so that's one step you can take. You could also start leaking information uh, that would be embarrassing to Putin and his family um, and and the oligarchs around him in the same way that they leaked information through WikiLeaks um, about the Democratic National uh, Committee in the run-up to the elections, for example. I mean, there are steps you can take, but let's also recognize that one of the reasons that Russia is dangerous is not because Putin's so strong, but precisely because um, Russia is declining in its influence globally, and Putin's really unhappy about that, and it makes him more willing to lash out and more risk-acceptant in a way that the Chinese are, are, are expanding in their power. They feel resurgent. The time is on their side, and so they're much less willing 
mm-hmm. um, to take a whack at the Americans. They, they want to play the long game. They don't want to trade war. And you see this. I mean, clearly Russia's decision, Putin's decision um, to go after this former spy in Salisbury in the UK um, probably means that the Europeans now double down on sanctions against Russia, hurting their economy, while many European governments had been pushing to actually take those sanctions off. So they shot themselves in the foot. You now have, because of Putin going after the U.S. elections, a tough line on Russia being just about the only thing Democrats and Republicans in Congress actually agree on. And even in Ukraine, where Trump really, where Putin really embarrassed Obama by going into Crimea, taking it, and refusing to back down and having his little green men in southeast Ukraine. Fact is that we're now providing the Ukrainians arms. The Russians are losing citizens, and it's very embarrassing for them at home. It's not popular. Um, And most of Ukraine, the vast majority of their economy and their political system, is oriented inexorably towards the West, towards Europe and the United States, which had not been the case before the Russians actually invaded Crimea. It was much more split. In a strange way, doesn't uh, doesn't the isolation um, of Russia... Uh, play into what I fear is happening all over the globe and much of it directed by Russia into this nationalization, this this heritage movement. Doesn't that in some ways make him more strong if they're alone and it's us against the world and and we are strong Russia? You're absolutely right, Glenn, and it does make him strong at home in the same way that Castro never wanted the removal of U.S. sanctions because, I mean, if we had been investing like crazy with all the tourists coming into Havana, his regime wouldn't have lasted very long. So absolutely, Putin at home is strengthened by this kind of heritage movement, exactly as you say. But to be clear, there's no threat to Putin domestically anyway. I mean, whether he was going to win with 77% of the vote as he did or yeah, 72% yeah, yeah. or 65%, I mean, yeah. real opposition in Russia is either locked up, exiled, or dead. Ian, can we talk about the oligarchs a little bit? Because that has been one of the, the kind of suggestions, as you kind of pointed out, that we go after the people, you know, all the, you know, the oligarchs in Russia and all of their money that's spread out globally. But there's an argument to say that that is a problem because what – Putin wants is to bring all that money back into Russia. And that was kind of what would be the result of that. Is that accurate? Indeed. Yeah, it is. In fact, I've made that argument and it's a double-edged sword. Um, So the question is, how much uh, do you want to get the benefit um, from taking on oligarchs who are clearly going to be personally less happy with the Kremlin? And, you know, might you get one or two of them to defect? Might you get good information that way? As opposed to the structural point, which is, Putin's economy is deteriorating. Uh, oil prices are comparatively low. They don't really make anything. A lot of multinational companies are not lining up to invest in the Russian market the way they are China or other emerging markets. And so Putin has been trying uh, to get big oligarchs to bring cash back um, to Russia. Um, and that's also an argument in the UK where you know so many more of them are located and domiciled. And clearly that doesn't make Putin very happy. When uh, back in ninety nine, um, I read uh, the manifesto from uh, Osama bin Laden, and in it he said, and I, I didn't understand it at the time. He said, "What I did to what I did to the Soviet Union, I will do to America," 
And I thought, well, he didn't do that. You know, uh, you were part of it, but it was Ronald Reagan and Pope John Paul and Margaret Thatcher. And, uh, you know, we collapsed them economically. And um, and now I see that I feel the exact play is being made against the United States and the West. And Russia is playing a role in this. And I'm I'm I was so intrigued by now today they just showed their their test their test of the new Satan rocket which I was strangely <laughs> titled um but they you know they talk about this hyper uh, uh sonic weapon and it just strikes me as Star Wars and Ronald Reagan do you think that these are bluffs and trying to get us into an arms race or do you think this is real it goes back to your earlier point uh, that if uh, Putin can show his own people that he is on par with the United States, that he is the big antagonist, he can get the Americans involved in a new Cold War and an arms race that makes him look stronger. But, you know, as the world's only comprehensive superpower, the United States, the good news is that, you know, we do a lot more damage to ourselves than any other country could possibly do. That's, of, that's of course, also the bad news. And in that regard, I mean, I would argue that, let's say, John Bolton is probably more of a threat to the United States, a la what you just said from Osama bin Laden, than Vladimir Putin is. In other words, someone that really believes the war in Iraq still was a good idea, despite all of the Americans killed and PTSD and coming back and feeling like we shouldn't be the global sheriff anymore. Despite all of the money, despite all of the bad will with allies, as well as um, the instability in the region that came as a consequence of that failed war, we now have someone that's about to be national security advisor that thinks that that's actually good policy and not just in Iraq, but in other places, too. Now, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out when we have Trump himself uh, int- intimating over the last 24 hours that the U.S. should pull out of Syria uh, precisely because, well, what's in it for us? We defeated ISIS, so why are we still there? It'll be very interesting to see how those two end up playing together. Even though we, the, the, we did not... Uh, no one in Congress and there was no will to stop this, you know, this uh, proxy war with with Yemen uh, and or in Yemen with uh, with Iran. Uh, you know, that's, you know, an undeclared war that uh, both Bernie Sanders and Mike Lee tried to stop. And, uh, you know, we're, we're still we seem to be expanding and not contracting. Yeah, I mean, certainly, and that was Obama and Trump. That policy has been quite consistent uh, over the course of the two administrations, uh, but not led by the United States, led by our allies, the Saudis and the Emiratis. And certainly after Trump made his first trip uh, as president outside the United States, not to Canada, which would have been more traditional, but instead um, to Saudi Arabia and was very feted uh, by uh, the Saudi king and the crown prince. Uh, it was hard to imagine that the United States would then tell the Saudis, OK, we're going to cut the rug out and we're not mm-hmm. going to support you in this war. Now, I mean, I do think that there are good reasons to support this Saudi regime. I think that at home, um, Mohammed bin Salman is truly trying to engage in revolutionary transformation, which is. is way overdue in terms of their economy, yes. their culture and their religion. And if he can stop funding the Wahhabis both at home and abroad, that's going to take away some of the terrorist threats that we've had. But mm-hmm. internationally, um, he's been much more willing to take on risk, try to show his bona fides, and also get the Americans sucked into conflicts that it's not at all clear are in our interest. 
Ian, um, we'd love to have you back when your book comes out. You're, you have a new book coming out called Us Versus Them, The Failure of Globalism. And from what little I know about it so far, uh, it sounds fascinating. And I think we could have a great conversation on it. So we'd love to have you back uh, for then. Uh, but thank I'd love you. To, Glenn. Just thank, a few weeks. Thanks for talking to you. Thank you very much. Ian Bremmer, po- political scientist uh, uh, and author of Us Versus Them, which is coming out. Yeah, it comes out April 24th. Uh, Glenn, he's at ianbremmer.com or uh, at ianbremmer on Twitter. All right, I want to talk to you about LifeLock. Look, there are so many threats uh, going on, um, you know, especially during tax time. People can, you know, claim your identity and file for taxes. You can get a, a tax refund and criminals will call you and say, hey, by the way, this is the IRS and there was a problem and you got to return that right away and you send it to this and people are falling for it. There are so many threats and most of them will go undetected. And that's where you really get into trouble. The new LifeLock Identity Theft Protection is now adding the power of Norton Security to help protect you against the threats to your identity and to your devices that you can't easily see or fix on your own. If you have a problem, they have agents who are going to work to fix it. Now, nobody can stop all cyber threats, prevent all identity theft, or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock has pulled my butt out of the fire a couple of times. You get a phone call and they say, are, are you doing this? Are you opening this account? Are you? I say, I don't know. Honey, are you opening this account? No. No, we're not. Great, we're on it. That's the way it happens. LifeLock.com. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK and use the promo code BECK. You'll get an extra 10% off your first year if you use the promo code BECK at LifeLock.com. Glenn Beck. Mercury. Glenn Beck. And now, the gun debate that America deserves. Hello, Mr. Hogg. My name is Rex Jones, and I want to make a public statement about you claiming to speak for my generation about guns. I'm 15 years old, Mr. Hogg, and I don't need talking points or a little teleprompter behind my CNN interview screen to get my point across. I'm backed up by statistics and facts. You are backed up by falsities and lies. Mr. Hogg, my dad publicly invited you to come on his show and debate him. You shied away and crawled back under your rock. I, Rex Jones, would like to publicly challenge you to debate me. Name the time, name the place, name the venue. I will do it. <laughs> Apple uh, falling far from the tree oh, there. Oh, my gosh. That's Alex Jones' son uh, <laughs> challenging uh, uh, Hogg to a, a, to a debate, which... I will say. I mean, mm. the Second Amendment was debated among our founding fathers. Yeah. Uh, I mean... And, yeah. and I will say that this is a perfect end to this experiment. It really Let's is. have a final debate between a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old one of which is the son of a conspiracy theorist. And let's just have them, they'll, they'll debate the Second Amendment, and then we unplug the country and turn it off. That's, I think that's a great last act. Because really, where do you go from there? Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. And we just turn it off and, and see, maybe maybe somebody comes eventually to turn it into something else. But where I feel like... I mean, I'm speaking as an alcoholic. Where's our bottom? Seriously. I think we just found it, but, you know, maybe no. not. I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it. I think those two could debate and we would still Oh, yeah, we'd, we'd find still go else. lower. <laughs> we'd still go lower. I mean, I I I can you I can you imagine we said the same thing about some of the uh 
the survivors of of Parkland, which is, of course, their their points are should be included in the debate if they wish it to be. Uh, and, uh, and of course, obviously, hearing about the, their experience is important. Um, but the way they've been utilized by the media and the left is despicable, and it's hard to imagine that this is any different, right? I mean, it's the same point should apply here, right, guys? I mean, it's it's not it's not a good turn. Glenn Beck, Mercury. You're listening to the Glenn Beck program. Stu, can we do Choose Your News and also the Hillary Clinton uh, audio at the same time? If we hurry. If we hurry. Let's yeah. let's let's start with a little bit of Hillary Clinton. I just want to, you know, see if the Anti-Defamation League is interested in any of this audio. Here's Hillary Clinton, her latest. As someone who grew up in Vienna and barely escaped the Holocaust, my mother would say from time to time that it could happen here and I was I would be very dismissive of that I would dismiss it and I would dismiss her comments and her fears as implausible I now find it shocking I'm even about to ask this question but I I do want you to talk about what are your concerns about the stability of our democratic institutions and structures in these yeah, yeah. tumultuous moments and what for you is the essence of American democracy? I'm hoping uh, that uh, the worst, the kind of question you asked me, Ruth, is just never even approached. We never get to that. So we won't get to Nazism. But it will require people turning up and voting in these midterm elections. <laughs> midterm. And- yeah. Oh, that's, okay. So it's Nazism, okay, or stop. they vote the right way in the 2018 yeah. <laughs> midterm elections. Right. Oh, okay. We're not going to get there unless people vote Democrats in 2018. But I hope we never get there. But we could be within 12 months. <laughs> I mean, what? What? Where is that? I never, ever, 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 ever got no. close to that. She's saying if you don't vote in the midterm we'll probably turn into a Nazi nation. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> All right. No big deal. <laughs> She's gone nuts. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Choose your news, Stu. Yes. The wor- Here's the headline number one. The world's first blockchain toothbrush lets you mine coins while brushing your teeth. <laughs> okay. Headline number two. Who needs a taxi when you can take an ambulance? Okay. All right. And number three, probably the worst headline, but a very good story, drug bust in Detroit gone horribly wrong. I feel like you have your thumb on the scale here. I I I got to go drug bust. I am making a Mm -hmm. recommendation for the drug bust. Mm -hmm. Good choice. Okay. You ready? Mm -hmm. Detroit police. Undercover police officers in a drug bust. The officers were undercover, disguised as drug buyers. They go in and they they make the deal. Now, remember, this is very tense. These are high-level drug dealers they're dealing with. They've been staking them out for a while. They go in. 
They need to make sure that they do it right. And remember, guys, do not pull a gun. Don't do anything until the money is exchanged and we have the drug and they have the money. Are we all clear on that? Yes, sir. All right. Put your hoodie on. Let's go. They go in. They make the deal after months of working this gang. They make the deal and both sides say, freeze. (laughs) Because police district 11 was posing as drug dealers. (laughs) Detroit police district 12 were posing as drug buyers. Needless to say, the room got a little tense when both sides drew their guns and said they had a warrant for their arrest. <clears throat> Oops. Yeah, that was uh, drug bust gone horribly, horribly wrong. Uh, all right, we'll see, we'll have to save the toothbrush for the bit mining here in a second. Let me uh, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter. If you need to hire great people, there's a really great way to find them. Something better than just posting your job online and then waiting for the right person to see it. ZipRecruiter does all that. They post on 100 plus job sites, but they also have developed a smarter way. They learn what they what you're looking for. ZipRecruiter is a system that is a smart system. It identifies the people with the right experience and then in, invites them to apply for your job. ZipRecruiter. The invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire because they go out and they say, "Hey, you should apply for this." Try ZipRecruiter. Try it for free today. Just go to ziprecruiter.com/back. That ziprecruiter.com/back. Try it for free. Put the right people in the right positions to take your company to the next level. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Today, we're going on a journey. They say that time itself does not exist as we know it, as we understand it. It only really exists as something called space-time. It's really only a point on a giant map. Something that we can use to find out where we are, where we've been, or where we're going. So let's unfold space-time and trace our way back. First, maybe just a couple of years. Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the, the world. United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, leader of Al-Qaeda. On my orders, the United States military has begun strike against Al-Qaeda terrorist training camps. The people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of it soon. Now back even further. Princess Diana died in I did not have this vast right-wing conspiracy. Right now, he is O.J. Simpson. He is armed with a gun. Mr. Gorbachev, tears down this Elvis Presley died today. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. 
Because of what has happened in Munich during the past 48 hours, where nine terrified living human beings are being held All prisoner. All for man. A second shot, the third total shot, hit the president's head. Gentlemen, the Beatles! Dr. Martin Luther King has been shot to death in Memphis. A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Allied naval forces, supported by strong air forces, began landing Allied armies this morning on the northern coast of France. December 7th, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. Oh, the humanity. Back farther still, even before Marconi, when the air was silent. Back past the signing of the Declaration of Independence, past the Age of Enlightenment, before Martin Luther hung his protest on the church doors, before Columbus rediscovered the fact that the world was round. We go past Newton, Galileo, the Dark Ages, the Crusades, back to a time before books, when most of the world couldn't read nor write, and history was oral. We leave this world now, where we can hear and see a lone protester standing in front of a tank in a country on the other side of the planet, and we can see it live. To a world seemingly simple, yet brutal beyond our understanding, where news was spread from mouth to mouth. We stop here, at approximately 29 of the Common Era. We stop at a small walled city in the Middle East, it's around 10 o'clock at night, just a couple of days before Passover. The meals are being prepared, the night's meal had already been eaten, and most in the city are asleep. One man, however, is not. It's strange. He's younger than I am. He's about 30. He's awake and alone in a garden. His friends, who have been with him for several years, are just a few yards away. They slumber underneath the star-filled sky. They still don't know that even though they sleep, the world is about to wake. Eleven of twelve men sleep beside a hill. One man awake. He couldn't sleep, for he knew. He was in a garden in prayer, praying so hard about what he knew was about to come, praying so hard that blood actually dripped from his pores in a place of sweat. Back at the hill, when he returned, he begged his friends to wake and pray with him. They didn't know how serious his request really was. They had no idea what was just to come. He pleaded with his friends, Why will you not rise and pray with me? He asked this again before returning to the garden alone. He knelt there on rocky soil, his hands clasped, his head bowed. Twilight dew draped his neck, the horizon still in black. He prayed. He prayed even harder, for the sky would eventually turn purple, then light blue. And he knew what awaited him. Back to the hill once more, his friends asleep. 
he begged his friends, Rise, rise and pray with me. I need you now more than ever. They said they would, but shortly after he left, they fell asleep again. The dawn was even closer, and he knew his time was running out. Now over the hill, they marched like flowing lava burning in the night's solace. The eleven are surely awake now. They have sworn their faith to him, but he knows, he knew this wasn't true. They'll weaken and he'll be forsaken, forsaken by the same men who just swore their undying devotion. The torchlights grow brighter, the hourglass running low, the clanging of the metal swords and spears, the sound and the vibration of the march deep down from their feet to their spine, creating a shallow vibration leaving them quivering. The soldiers approach. The one is grabbed and kissed. Betrayed with a kiss. A kiss wearing the mask of loyalty. One of the men leap forward, draws his sword, cutting the ear off one of the soldiers. He raises his hand. No. Peace. Take me now in peace. For this is my purpose, this is my being, this is the reason I came. Now one of them, Peter, strays. While his friend is being persecuted for crimes he didn't commit, he stands by a fire, denying any relationship he has as he tries to blend in with the common people. A woman approaches. Didn't I see you with him? Peter says, Surely I don't know him, but you're from Galilee. For the third time, Peter says, I do not know this man. Now Jesus is pulled back and forth between the two who will determine his fate. They can't see any crime, but they still question, scourge, and mock him. Aren't you the king? Silence. Then here is your crown, says one as they give him a crown of thorns and press it into his head. He stands before the judge, who could condemn him for no crime, but it is Passover. He says to the crowd, You, you can choose. One I will release. Him as the king of the Jews, or... Jesus, standing silent, his eyes to the ground is condemned to death. Jesus now carries his cross through the stone-clad streets to the place known as the Skull, the place where he will soon die. His back torn, his head bleeding beneath his thorny crown. The women cry out loud as he passes. He pauses for a moment and comforts them. Do not weep for me. Rather, Weep for yourselves. His mother looks on as huge nails are driven through his hands and his feet. They raise the cross and slam it into the ground. It is at this point that all four writers of the gospel struggled with a description of the crucifixion, as I have. They described with the only words that I could use. And... They crucified him.
He now hung on the cross as the soldiers bid lots on his clothing below. Next to him, two criminals hang, but they are simply tied to the cross. One of them says, You're the Son of God. Save us now. Save all of us. The man in the middle does nothing, for he had a purpose. The afternoon passes. His skin stretched. He wept. He begged for water, and they gave him a sponge on a reed filled with vinegar. In a moment where he showed us that he was truly human, he cried out and said, My father, my father, why have you forsaken me? The sky began to grow dark. It was approaching three o'clock on a Friday afternoon when Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth, spoke once more and only once. His last words, it is finished. So today, people all over the world do as I do now. I thank that lone carpenter for dying dying on that Friday afternoon so I may live. Glenn Beck Mercury